0: But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And Father, we humbly bow our hearts before you now. Lord, as we continue to worship you, we ask that your Holy Spirit would prepare us to have an ear to hear what your Spirit would say to this part of your church and Lord, every intent and purpose behind why you gave us this portion of your living and powerful word, may your spirit who inspired it be our teacher and our instructor and the one who applies it personally to our hearts this morning. Lord, help us to hear what you would say. We ask you would speak, Lord, and your servants are listening. And we ask you to communicate to us what you would in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. There's an old phrase, and I think certainly there's much truth to it, and that's this, three words, communication is key. Communication is key. When you look up the word communication, it's defined as a process whereby information is exchanged between two individuals. A process where information is being exchanged between two individuals. And you'll notice as we go through our text this morning, the theme of this passage is instruction regarding the need as well as the value of communication and communication in two ways. That is communication between us and other people for various purposes, whether it's how we answer, saying yes or no, Uh, whether it is in the process of us maybe asking for help or prayer, that's communication, or sharing what's going on in our lives, confessing our mistakes and sharing those things with one another. And also, communication, I think more important, communication between us and God. That is communication by praying and talking to God or mentioned here as well as communication in the process of singing and expressing worship and praise to God. Look with me in verse 12 as we look through these things. He begins by saying in verse 12, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So he instructs here, notice the brethren, a reference to Christians, the family of God. He instructs the Christian here that there is no need to take oaths to prove our sincerity. But instead, what James is saying is rather we should simply be people of our word. He tells us in verse 12 here something that we should not do. And then he tells us in the latter half of the verse, instead what we should do telling us really whether it's giving an answer to something people have asked us or whether it's maybe speaking in regards to making a commitment or something we will do or something we won't do. The first thing he does is tell us what not to do. And he says that we should not be making empty oaths to prove our sincerity or to have to validate that we really are genuine in what we're saying. He says there, my brethren, do not swear by heaven by earth something greater the idea is or with any earth don't swear by something he's saying in order to give a guarantee or to somehow have to assure and validate that you're really going to do the thing that you're saying consider if you would honestly if i need to or you need to swear by something greater than ourself to somehow you know uh, provide accountability to require yourself to do the thing that you're saying you have to ask well what's the reason for that i mean if for some reason you know i have to validate that i really mean what i'm saying by you know i swear upon my grandmother's grave or you know whatever people if we have to do that i mean what does that reveal about us If, in fact, we have to do something like that, in some ways, perhaps that's indicating that we're not honest or we're not really a reliable person or we're not the type of individual who normally does the things that we say and we can't be trusted. It conveys the idea that we lack integrity, that we're not someone who means what we say or typically says what we mean. And so, therefore, because we're not typically faithful to what we say, it's almost as if we have to provide a higher source of accountability to cause some fear of consequence in our life to kind of hold our feet to the fire to make sure that we'll do what we said we're going to do and that's in a sense kind of maybe why we're swearing because we actually need some pressure to keep us from not following through with something and that's not a good thing that doesn't convey assurance to people typically to me when somebody does that that conveys you're shady I mean, to me, it doesn't make me feel better if you swear by something. I say, why do you need to swear by something? You mean I can't just trust you? And and here he says, there's no need to do that. But then he tells us what we should do. In the second part of verse 12, he says, rather, the idea is, he says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. That we would be people who mean what we say and say what we mean. That we would be known in our reputation and our practice as communicating sincerely, being genuine in what we say, that your yes means yes. It does not mean, well, possibly or if I feel like it or if it's convenient or nothing better comes along or something doesn't come up or I don't you know, get a splinter and so therefore I couldn't do it or, or whatever, that your yes means yes. That when you say yes, it means I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to fulfill my commitment or do the thing that I said I'm going to do or, or not going to do for that matter. And that our no means no. That our no does not mean I'm not really sure yet. I'm still processing it or or I might want to. No means either I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I don't feel comfortable doing it. And the no is basically an indication I'm not able or willing to do something. The point is simply being someone of your word. This is what God's asking of us. Again, because this is... God's nature and if we're going to represent God we should be becoming more like him we should manifest his character his nature his divine DNA has been put in us and like father like son we should begin to represent the Lord and God says what he means and means what he says his promises are sure his word is a guaranteed thing so when we say yes or no we should be those people who stand by our decision and follow through with it that we would walk out what we say that you're a dependable person you're honest you're faithful when you say something at your job that you, you do what you say when you make a promise to your kids or you tell them something's going to to the best of your ability you seek to honor your word and if you don't you apologize for it and you have enough humility to say you know I said that but I, I, I maybe I'm not able to or I can't do that but that we would be known as we're someone who says something And and we are credible in what we say. And this is a very important thing in in our communication, that we have integrity, that we're someone who does what we say. And take note from this verse, verse 12 as well, part of living properly in our interactions with one another and our communication as people is that there is a time to say yes and there is also a time to say no. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, indicating that both of them are a part of proper interacting with one another and both of them are an appropriate part of conversation uh, that we would be people who realize these are important and acceptable decisions at different times and situations. That it is important at times to say yes. And it is also important at times to learn how to say no. And that we would learn how to be comfortable enough and confident enough to be able to say yes when we should and that it's totally acceptable at times to say no when we should. If you are someone who always says yes to everything, you're gonna cause a lot of problems in your life. And if you're someone who can't say no to people or to situations, you're gonna have a lot of problems in your life. There is value and purpose in saying both yes and saying no. And the point here is just trying to be sincere and clear in our communication that when we talk to someone or we answer someone, we're doing the best that we can to convey openly what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and what we really intend to do to the best degree possible. And the reason he says we should avoid making great oaths and just simply be people of our word at the end of verse 12, he says, is lest, here's the reason why, lest you fall into judgment. And the word judgment there in the... the, Greek term literally is where we get our word to be guilty of hypocrisy hypocrites to become a hypocrite and what he's trying to say is it's best to just try and be someone of your word because in this area of speech making big promises maybe we're you know sometimes we get caught up in the emotion of something so we make this grandiose promise or we say we're going to do this so we're always saying this Yes to this or we can't say no to that. What happens is we can become guilty of a pattern of hypocrisy in this area where we tend to become or maybe even known as someone who says one thing, but then always does another. Or or, or we become known as someone who we make commitments, but then we don't follow through and, and we make promises and we don't keep them. And he says, if you do that, you're going to fall into By God's consequences, as well as the consequences from other people, you're going to fall into judgment. That is, people are going to judge you as a hypocrite. Your words not going to begin to mean much anymore. And people are going to begin to realize the consequence of the lack of integrity and not following through. They're going to begin to judge and condemn you for not doing what you said or not doing what you promised. And he says, we want to avoid this. In our reputation and our nature. Well, he then goes on to, in verse 13, encourage us regarding the value of communication to God. He begins talking about communicating with other people. And then he says, in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Don't all shout amen. Is anyone among you suffering? Here's his answer, three words again, let him pray. So for those who are suffering in some capacity, James gives counsel here that we're to turn to God foremost for our help and for our assistance. And we've already seen in the book of James studying it together that the believers he's writing to were undergoing a lot of difficulties. He began in the very first chapter talking about undergoing various trials as soon as he began the letter. And again, the idea of various trials, because trials can come in all kinds of varieties and forms, right? And trials can be various in the sense that some trials, their duration is very short. Maybe it's an hour or for a day. Other trials can can have a longer duration. It could be a trial you're in for a whole week. Or for a whole month or a whole season or 10 years, you've been in the same trial and dealing with some difficulty and some hardship. And sometimes trials, some are small, some are big. In chapter four and five, he talked about the challenges and the problems they were facing with relational issues and fights and quarrels and the emotional pain and problems of relationship issues. And then in chapter two and in chapter five, we read how some of the believers were being mistreated by those who were oppressing them and taking advantage of them in different ways. The point is, these Christians were suffering various difficulties. These were people, who listen, they loved the Lord. They were walking with the Lord, but yet despite walking with the Lord, they were still dealing with hardships and difficulties and problems in their lives, some of them to great degrees. So I think verse 13 here I think he almost asks rhetorically. The idea is a rhetorical question. You ask the question with the implied answer already. I think he almost asks rhetorically. I think it's, it's a, a way a Holy Spirit's almost trying to grab attention. He says to people who he knows, or Is anyone by chance among you suffering? As if everyone would almost immediately want to raise their hand because there was a lot of suffering going on. And typically, because of the world that we live in, though we're not the believers James is writing to, in our world, this is a fallen world. This is a messed up place and things are getting worse and harder constantly. And in a room this morning of a gathering like this, there are people who are suffering. In all different ways. In all different capacities. That word suffering that he uses there speaks of it just enduring hardship or being under emotional distress it speaks of facing difficulties and problems in our circumstances things that are just draining and hard upon our lives and we can be suffering in so many different ways and forms some of you this morning may be going through a financial problem and so you're suffering financially Some of you may be dealing with emotional suffering, grief of the loss of a loved one you're still processing or some relationship problem or something hurtful that's happened in your life or maybe even in your past that's still causing hardship. Some of you are dealing with just difficult circumstances in your jobs or your family or, or some situation that you're facing right now. And there are so many ways that we can suffer. So after getting the attention of those suffering, the Holy Spirit says, If that's you, if you're suffering, he says, here's the answer in response, three words to the suffering person. Let him pray. Let him pray. Communicate with God. Talk it through with God. Notice he does not say, are you suffering? Is anyone suffering? Let him complain. He doesn't say, let him, the suffering person, talk to others about all their suffering. He doesn't say, let them join a support group or spend lots of money to go see a therapist and tell them about your suffering. He doesn't say, you know, start trying to fix everything and change the problems and get yourself out of the suffering. He doesn't say, medicate yourself to the degree where you can't think about your suffering. He doesn't say, find some coping mechanism that will help you just ignore the fact that you're going through something hard and you just keep using the coping mechanism to kind of blind yourself to what's going on rather than facing it and working through it and experiencing the suffering because part of life is suffering. And it's not all negative to experience suffering. There are valuable things that can even come out of suffering. The Word of God is very clear in that. So he does not say we should do these other things. And listen, I'm not saying those things in and of themselves, all of them are wrong and don't have a place at times. But they should never be the foremost thing. The first thing we should do, the foremost thing God tells us, the one who understands suffering better than any human being does, God says, here is the first approach to when you start suffering. It should be the continuous emphasis as you're suffering. God offers a wise healthy antidote he says pray are you suffering pray talk to god about it talk it through with the lord why because god deeply cares about you and he wants to help you and god understands your personal suffering better than any other human being possibly could and god understands you And how that suffering impacts you and how it's affecting you because he knows you better than you even know yourself. And the thoughts and the feelings and the experiences. God is fully aware of what's going on among us and within us and to us. And more than that, who's the best person in the world to help? God is more able to help us in our suffering than anyone, better than we can help ourselves, better than someone else can help us. He can give me the grace and the wisdom to know how to navigate the suffering, how to handle it, how to respond correctly as I walk through a difficult season. And he's able as well as your suffering to be the one person who can actually bring a change or a solution or relief or help in some way that may be needed. That's why we're instructed here that in suffering we should seek God and And rather than react to our suffering, because I'll tell you this, when we react to suffering as it comes into our lives, we do all kinds of other things. But when we respond the way God has told us to suffering, we'll pray. That's God's response and sometimes maybe not your life i've even found in my life sometimes one of the best things god brings out of suffering in my life is he uses it to stimulate fellowship with him deeper fellowship with him you know we all know it's very difficult at times to get god's people to pray and god just drop a little trial on you all of a sudden when's that prayer meeting or all of a sudden we're praying and crying out. And, and so God understands sometimes that even these things can indirectly be used to facilitate relationship. And we see this revealed all throughout the scripture in various times and ways as people would suffer, they would pray. That's what they would do. They would turn to God. Hannah, when she was dealing with the suffering of wanting a child so desperately, she sought God. She told God about it. She pleaded with God in regards to her struggle with being able to conceive. David, we see him praying. All the Psalms are Elijah, Nehemiah, Job, Jeremiah. We see in the New Testament, Peter and and Paul. and, And even, listen, Jesus, the perfect epitome of humanity, the perfect man. How did Jesus process his suffering? Look at the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed. He talked it through with his father in the hardest hour of his life. Psalm 18 says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and he and cried out to my God. He heard my voice. Psalm 107, there's a repeated refrain. It shows up again and again. It says this, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses. Again, there are so many valuable benefits, many, many valuable benefits to praying when we suffer many many purposes and the benefits that come and i want to say this when the bible says are you suffering let him pray that's not just a cliche christian statement and sometimes in christianity we almost can get so familiar with certain cliche statements that we almost dismiss them listen when the bible says are you suffering pray that's not a cliche statement to just be dismissed and nod our head to It's a command to be observed. It's a command. Are you suffering? Pray. Pray. And keep praying. Pray on your own. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your family. Pray with God's people when they get together to pray and look to god and seek god and on the other side of that verse 13 as he goes on he says is anyone cheerful almost the opposite let him sing psalms so what's the proper response then to being joyful we like that much better right being cheerful being happy filled with gratitude he says here's the response let him sing psalms that is offer praise to the lord by singing about him singing to him when he says sing psalms It's likely what he means there is just sing praises. If you read the book of Psalms, many of the Psalms are are, are expressions of praise, but it could also be a literal reference to singing Psalms because many of the Psalms were sang musically after they were composed. They were actually used to be sung in in a musical way. The point is there are going to be times and reasons in life as well to be cheerful when we experience good things in life maybe one of them is we were suffering and we prayed and god answered our prayer and he moved in some special way or brought a change to a situation or he answered prayer and god worked something out and 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 so that's a time now that now you're cheerful you're happy lord you did it or maybe sometimes god just works in some way in your life and he blesses you and shows his favor and kindness and something good just cheers up your spirit and lifts you and and you're cheerful and happy because of what god's doing or what's maybe happened something to celebrate sometimes we're joyful and cheerful when maybe we failed And yet we experience the love of Jesus and his forgiveness and his kindness and grace and that brings joy to our hearts. And in these times, it is appropriate to render a proper response. And that is to sing to the Lord, to express our gratitude, to have an outlet for the gratitude. In the same way, it is very important to pray and ask for God's help when we're struggling It is also equally as important that when we're experiencing the goodness of God and we're happy and joyful and cheerful from what God's goodness is doing in our life, that we would also have an outlet to express appreciation and that we would exercise that activity of rendering to God our thankfulness. And God says we can do this, how? By singing about him, singing to him directly. Listen, God does not ask for a, a, a hallmark thank you card, but He would like us to sing to Him. That's what He said. That's what He says. I don't need your hallmark card, but I'll take I'll take a love song. I like a love song. God's saying He wants to be serenaded. And one translation renders this verse: "Those who have reason to be thankful should continually sing praises to the Lord." And again, all throughout the Bible. We read statements and instructions. Psalm, uh, the Psalm 136, or excuse me, Psalm 113, verse 6 says, I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. I will sing because he's dealt bountifully with me. The writer of Hebrews says that we should offer to God the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says that we should be singing and making melody in our hearts unto the Lord. You know, study the Bible. Almost 150 times there are references, direct statements that command us to sing, to sing to the Lord. That this is one of the expressions of worship that God doesn't suggest, He commands. It's an instruction. It's something God asks us to do to please Him and to give pleasure and gratitude back to Him for why He he greatly deserves it. And so in light of that, let's be very practical. Why do we sing at church gatherings? I mean, why do we do this? Why do we have those spiritually gifted and anointed individuals who lead us, maybe in the front side of a worship gathering and the back side of a worship gathering to sing through songs? I mean, do we just do it to Add a little filler to the service? Make it last a certain amount of time? Do, do we sing to kind of maybe get ourselves in the mood for spiritual things so we pay attention for the Bible study more? This is the toughest one. Do we do it so that there's a buffer time for people to arrive late to church? The worship team made me say that. Seriously. Let me say this in all genuineness, as an advocate for the honor of the Lord. I really wonder how many Christians would keep their jobs very long if they showed up to work the same way they show up to church. It's kind of sad. The Lord's worthy of our worship. He's worthy, to be, it, he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. And what happens in hearing a Bible study is not more spiritual than expressing worship under the Lord by singing to Him. It's all worship. It's all an expression of worship. And so he says, when you experience the goodness of God, and we all have in different ways, he says, sing to the Lord. Sing. Express to Him that thankfulness and that gratitude. So God's Word then gives us some additional counsel regarding times it's helpful to communicate again he goes back to with other people at times in our lives verse 14 addresses that he says anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the lord so here god tells us that when we're dealing with physical problems in our health now not just suffering generally in other ways but actually a health issue, a physical problem that sometimes, verse 14 says, that God's healing can come through seeking out individuals to pray for us, to ask for God's healing to come into our life. The word sick that's used there literally is a term that means to have a loss of strength in the physical body. It's also translated to be laid out on a sickbed. The idea is something's not working right in the physical body. Something's malfunctioning in the physical frame causing a health issue. It experience, refers to experiencing whatever you want to put in there. Sickness, illness, some disease. Uh, you know maybe some health issue whatever it may be uh, a bodily complication any of those things all fit into the term that's used there a lack of strength of the body functioning properly so he says when that happens when someone's experiencing these things a health issue we're instructed there is something that we can do to seek out if god may want to heal us listen while on this earth before we enter into heaven and then of course we get a new body and we're all ultimately healed when we get into heaven but sometimes God may want to heal us now it may be his will to do that we see all throughout the Bible again clearly and in history God has the power to heal we have a miracle working God You can't read your Bible and not see throughout the Old Testament. There were times that God would heal people. We see Jesus, God in the flesh, and he would walk around. And at times, part of his ministry is he would heal people. He would give recovery to those who had health issues. The book of Acts, again, we see them praying for people and people getting healed in the early church. And sometimes it may be God's plan to heal on this side of eternity for his glory. And for his good purposes. And so we can and should be open to that. And this verse here in the book of James, verse 14, shows us one of the ways whereby God's healing may come to a person while living still on this earth. He says, are you having a health issue currently? Do you want to seek God if he would want to heal you? He says, therefore, let him call for the elders of the church... And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Simply put, the afflicted person is to ask the spiritual leaders within the church to come and pray for them. Now, when he uses the term there, verse 14, the elders of the church, it's a reference to those spiritually gifted men called and and ordained by God, enabled by God, and recognized by the church family to provide the spiritual oversight to the church, whether it's in the area of doctrine or teaching or leadership or pastoral care and prayer. And the sick person, notice it says here in verse 14, the sick or afflicted person is to reach out to the elders, to the leaders of the church, and indicate their suffering and that they desire those leaders to pray for them for their healing. Notice, please, the responsibility is upon the afflicted person to approach the elders or the leadership. And the reason why is sometimes, though we may seek to be aware of what's going on in the flock's life, sometimes the leadership may not be aware someone is dealing with a health issue. Everybody processes things a little bit. Some people are very open and they'll call right away. They'll ask for prayer. They'll indicate what's going on. Other people, they're just a little more private individuals. And it's just their nature, their temperament or whatever it may be. So the Bible says that the afflicted person is to call for the elders. That is there to go and indicate, hey, I'm suffering physically. There's something going on. And to indicate as well, not just I'm suffering, but I would like to seek if God might want to heal me and to actually inquire and to ask to receive prayer. Now, when he talks about praying over the sick there in verse 14, it indicates it seems laying on of hands of the afflicted person and asking together the elders that God may have mercy and bring healing and recovery. And notice the word elders is in the plural there. And I think that's important. And I think personally that that's purposeful. Because by having at least two or more individuals laying hands on a person, praying for them, then if God brings healing, there's no way the glory went to one person or to one person's really deeply spiritual prayer because they prayed more spiritual than the other guy who kind of stumbled through his words. So by having elders, by having two or more individuals praying, then if the healing comes, nobody gets glory or credit as if somehow they're a healer. And now they have this special gift that they can just go around and heal anybody. You know, I would encourage you, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is a passage that talks about the gifts of the Spirit and how the Spirit of God manifests Himself working among the church. There, when it speaks of the works of the Spirit of God and the gifts of the Spirit, it says there that God gives gifts of healings, plural. It does not say in the Bible there is a gift of being a healer. The Bible says that there are gifts of healings that God may give at times as he works by his spirit. In other words, indicating the fact that as we seek God and we pray and we operate as a church family and maybe, you know, the leaderships praying over someone for healing or whatever, that God may at times choose to give to a person a gift of a healing. It's one of his many gifts. At times he does good things, good and perfect gifts come from heaven. God may give out a gift of a healing to someone according to his prerogative, according to his decision. But again, the idea there is he gives them a gift. There are gifts of different healings that come at times as the church is just operating and moving in the spirit. I do not believe, you are free to disagree, personally, that God would entrust a human being to have the gift to just be a healer, to heal anybody at whim whenever they want to. I can't imagine how a human being could possibly, in our pridefulness, handle something like that. Just my personal conviction. And these individuals who seek to represent themselves as if somehow they can control it and do it whenever they want or wherever, then my question is, is why aren't they clearing out Children's Hospital in Philadelphia? Why aren't they walking through all the cancer wards? and, and you know, why not do that instead of having to have seminars and charge people money and get all kinds of glory and, uh, to me there are gifts of healings and this is one of the ways it happens sometimes as a local assembly maybe some elders or pastors pray for someone and again many times God mercifully heals so we are told here and encouraged to ask now we do see occasions in the Bible where people prayed and it was not God's will to heal Paul the Apostle Who exercised and moved in the power of the Spirit. At times, God would bring healings through Paul. Sometimes, Paul himself says, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take this thorn away from my flesh, this painful physical ailment, and the Lord said, Paul, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. In other words, Paul, I hear you've asked me to remove this from your life. Paul, you think that affliction, that bodily problem, is hindering your life? Paul, actually, for my divine purposes, it's actually helping you in a way you don't understand. And Paul, my grace will be sufficient for you. And I'm going to give you grace to deal with this. I'm not going to remove it from your life, but I will give you the grace to deal with this. Paul told Timothy, his protege in the ministry, Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach infirmities. Again, if there's anybody that Paul would have wanted to have healed, if he could heal whoever he wanted to, why not heal Timothy? I mean, this was his most you know important partner in ministry why would he let him because apparently i'm sure they prayed for him but he said it didn't work timothy so keep taking your antacid keep taking your stomach medicine it tells us in the book of timothy as well second timothy where paul says that we left trophimus in miletus sick paul says we had to leave him behind on the mission's trip cuz he was too sick to carry on Again, I'm sure they prayed for him, but God didn't heal. So they say, God's not healing you, man. It'd be better for you to stay here. And the team moved on. And Paul says we had to leave him behind. So there are times when it may not be God's will to heal because maybe there's some divine purpose that God has for his greater glory. But because we know he does heal, we're encouraged to ask, to ask. So he says, are you sick? Call for the elders. Let them pray over you. And he says, anointing with oil In the name of the Lord. This particular prayer of the leadership for the afflicted involves anointing with oil. Now, notice, in the Old Testament, the temple furnishings and those who were called to work for God, priests and prophets and so forth, often they were anointed symbolically with oil, and oil was a symbol of the Spirit. It was a symbolic representation of the power of the Spirit of God being upon something. It represented a point of contact to stimulate faith in the anointing of the Spirit and what mighty works God could do. In Mark chapter 6, as Jesus sends out the twelve apostles to go minister, we read there that they went out and preached that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So, as the physically afflicted or suffering person with a health issue comes, you know, typically under the pulpit here, we have a little vial of oil. We don't dump motor oil on your head. Typically, we put a little dab of oil on somebody's forehead and we just lay hands on them and and we pray for them. And again, the oil, there's nothing magical about the oil. It's just a point of contact. We're told to do it in Scripture. God has a purpose and reason for it. And I believe as that oil was a representation of the Spirit and God's mighty, powerful anointing to work, I believe that oil in some ways is just a point of contact for the afflicted person to remind them of the power of God's Spirit that is available to touch their body, to come upon their life and to minister to them in a very powerful way and to stimulate their faith as they're being prayed for, to believe, Lord, I believe the power of your spirit can come upon me right now and heal me. I believe personally it's as well for the elders and those who are praying to also be stirred in faith that we believe the anointing of the Lord can touch this person, that we would pray in faith. And we know Jesus often honored faith When he would heal people, perhaps that's the reason. Here's what's insightful. That term, anointing, when you look at it in verse 14 there, used by James, it's not the Greek term that was typically used for anointing with oil when you find it throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's actually a term there, when you look at it, that means to rub with oil. Now that's interesting. Because it could possibly be also a reference to using oil for medicinal uses. The idea is pray in faith and use oil as well medicinally to help in some way to assist the person. Remember Luke chapter 10 when the Samaritan is coming along and he finds the man all beaten up and his body's with wounds and it says... In verse 34 that Jesus said this. He bandaged his wounds pouring oil and wine upon them. There oil was being used in a medicinal sense to bring healing to the actual wounds. That as the oil was applied to his body in a medicinal sense it would bring healing. And we do know in the ancient culture oils were often used in a combination of ways for medicinal purposes. People understanding the value of God's creation and natural oil extracts being applied for healing and recovery. And we do know they used oil in medicinal ways as well. So this could be a reference, kind of the idea is, could be, pray for God's healing and faith, but take your medicine too. And here's the thing and let God determine how He wants to heal. Might be medicinal might be miraculous. But God's the healer in the end. And to be open to both and the value of both. The most important thing in praying for healing notice, he says at the end of the verse, is asking in the name of the Lord. That we understand the authority of Jesus Christ and his mercy and compassion, oh Lord, because of all of who you are. And what you are able to do, we ask for your healing in your name, believing that you may want to do this. He says, verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Again, notice, it's the prayer and it's the faith that brings the healing into a person's life if God would determine to do such. And again, we read all throughout the Bible times when Jesus would heal people and oftentimes when he would heal them, he would say, according to your faith let it be done unto you. So there is a measure of the the value of faith in these situations. But again, it's not the people praying or the special oil. He says there, verse 15, and the Lord will raise him up. Again, the healing comes from the Lord. He's the one that raises up the sick person for his glory and his purposes at times. And in connection to this prayer for possible healing from the Lord for physical health issues, he then adds verse 15, and if he's committed sins, very interesting, he will be forgiven. Now, this is interesting, certainly, let me just say, there is no biblical Validation or biblical case to say that all sicknesses and physical problems in a person's body are the result of some sin. That is unbiblical, that they're saying they're being punished or it's a consequence of some sin. Quite frankly, I think that's horrible and extremely unloving. And in fact, John chapter 9, they came to Jesus with a blind man and they asked Jesus, Who sinned that this man was born blind with his handicap or his physical health issue? Who sinned, him or his parents? Jesus said, neither. But that the works of God might be revealed. Jesus said that the reason he's suffering physically isn't because of his sin or his parents' sin. Neither one. But that the glory of God might be shown in his life through this physical affliction. Now, having said that not all sickness and physical affliction is directly linked to sin, it is possible, is it not? That certain lifestyles of sin or maybe a sinful or wrong choice can lead to a health issue or some physical problem. And in John 5, Jesus said to the man who was paralyzed that he healed there, he says to him, see that you sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. Perhaps something he had done that caused his paralysis. And so Jesus cautions him, be careful that you don't repeat the same thing. The point that Jesus cares about most is to know that if, notice, and if he has committed sin, so if the sin has caused the problem in the body in some way, if that's happened, he says, his sins will be forgiven. What Jesus wants to know is, wants to know, the greatest healing is the healing of the cancerous condition of our soul. That's what matters most. That that healing is the greatest healing any person could receive. He then says in verse 16, which is part of link to that, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So he gives a word of instruction how to experience, notice deliverance from any of the harmful effects that sin may have brought into our life. And this is important because when we fail at times as we all do and we violate the Word of God and we transgress in some way, it's not just wrong to sin. It's damaging when we sin. Sin's not just, you know, something that's bad. It's bad for us because it brings harm and problems into our lives. So the Bible supplies here, look at it, a means whereby we admit our mistake to another believer and have them pray together with us for God's healing from the effects of that sin or transgression. Notice the subject, please pay attention, is not obtaining forgiveness. It's not the issue of obtaining forgiveness from another human being's prayers for us. Where if I confess my sins to you and you pray and say something over me, that that removes my sin. That's an unbiblical concept. It's talking about experiencing freedom from the harmful, damaging effects of sin. The only person who can forgive sin is Jesus Christ. First John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only Jesus can remove the consequence, the penalty of my sin. Only Jesus can cleanse my conscience and release me judicially from what I deserve as punishment for my sin. What he's describing here is what about the present and experiential effect of sin upon my life? When you sin, when I fail, and sometimes when we sin and fail, harmful consequences come into our life. Hurtful things happen as a result. Again, sin is a destructive force because it robs our lives of things. It ruins things in our lives. It defiles us and infects us and enslaves us. So how do we find deliverance and healing from sin's harmful consequences? Well, he answers verse 16. Here's what he says. Confess your trespasses to one another. The idea there is find a mature and safe Christian brother or sister and go to them and humble yourself and admit to them what you've done wrong. Acknowledge to them, take ownership and and, and tell them, bringing your sin into the light, into the open, before another brother or sister, let me tell you something, is an extremely liberating thing. I can tell you from pastoral experience, oftentimes it is the first step towards freedom. When you bring it into the light. And you just openly acknowledge and admit to another person what sin you have committed or what life of sin you've been struggling with. And then he says, after you confess your trespass to another, then pray for one another. Ask them, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me that God would deliver me from this? Pray for me in regards to the struggle with this, this unhealthy influence and the impact and the reason to do it, he says, verse 16, that you may be healed. Healed from the Effect of that sin. Again, as I said before, Jesus brings forgiveness of sin. This being described here, I believe, is what brings freedom from sin. The healing effect. Because when a person is healed, what happens? When a person is healed physically, they are freed from the unhealthy effects upon them. So when a person is healed in this way, it's referring to how sometimes when we sin, we need healing we need freedom from things like the paralyzing thoughts and feelings of condemnation and self-pity and guilt and the dark feelings we go through when we fail sometimes we need to be healed from the damaging perspective that sin causes in our life that messes up our brain and our reasoning sometimes we need to be healed and delivered from the spiritual weakness that's within us, that's caused us to be plagued in a way where we're being controlled by this sin and we need to be freed from that cancerous plague that it will be delivered out of our life so that we can walk in victory. Sometimes we need to be freed and healed from the hurts and regrets that our sin has caused in our life and we need our heart healed from what has happened. Listen, perhaps today, let me say, you're not living in a healthy way because of some effect that sin has had upon your life please see what the Bible is saying. God prescribes a process for freedom. There can be freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the power and the plague and the problems sin has caused. He says, obey this. Again, what did I say at the beginning? Communication is key. But we have to be willing to take the initiative to communicate. Oh, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, I'm suffering. You need to pray. You need to get serious about prayer. You've got to communicate with God. Are you suffering? Pray. Oh, I want to be healed. Maybe God would want you to ask for prayer for healing. Oh, this sin has had such a horrible effect upon my life and my family and things are immense and I just I'm, I can't get delivered from it. I can't get healed or freed from it. Maybe you need to go and confess your trespass to someone and say, would you pray for me? That God would heal me and set me free and let God's word do its work in our lives.